we thank our listeners. Uh, thank you so much. We love you all. And uh, today we have a very special guest and topic. Uh, we are going to uh, check in with Stony Brook Southampton Hospital to discuss stroke, stroke prevention, how to identify symptoms, the signs. And joining us live on the line today is Samantha Pulliam. She is an RN. She is a director at uh, Stony Brook Southampton Hospital. And she happens to be the stroke coordinator there. And we say a very good afternoon. Samantha, how are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, thank you for taking the time out. I know that, uh, wow, <laughs> it's got to be crazy busy. But um, let's, okay, let's begin. Stroke coordinator, let, give, first of all, give us a little bit of your own background and what brought you to uh, Stony Brook, Southampton. So I originally started my career in medicine in nuclear medicine research. So I was a neuroscience major my first time around getting a bachelor's, and then I went back to school and got a bachelor's in nursing became an emergency room trauma nurse. I started in Philadelphia, and then I traveled for a few years. I was actually a summer travel nurse here at Southampton and loved it so much that I stayed. And fast forward six years, I own a house and live in Sag Harbor full time. Right? This is our home here. We love Sag Harbor, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, um, I love it as well. Um, I was the trauma program coordinator for a few years here. Then I was the emergency department nurse manager. And now I am the accreditation redress director and stroke coordinator now. So just keeping making my way into different roles, seeing how best I can help the facility. Wow. Uh, and we'll get into all of that detail. But real quick, are you originally from Philly? No, so I'm actually originally from Connecticut. Um, but Philadelphia has amazing opportunities for emergency medicine. So I wanted to learn at the best places I could. And so you, you learn a lot when you're down there. Right. So <laughs> I'm just real. Are you uh, happy about the Phillies? You're not a Phillies fan, are you? I mean, they made no, the playoffs. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm okay, not. Okay. I'm a New York Yankees fan. So. <laughs> well, that's good, too. Well, at least maybe next year. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> Samantha, so uh, first of all, as stroke coordinator, uh, what exactly does that mean? What, what are your responsibilities there? So the stroke coordinator means that I review all patients that have come in for stroke based on the data that's collected we try to design new policies protocols guidelines that provide our patients with the best care the stroke program here at southampton is a primary stroke center which means that we receive certification from the joint commission which is a big regulatory body here in the united states and basically it just means that we have the services and the trainings and certifications to provide the best stroke care we can um, as a primary center. And we work hand in hand with Stony Brook Main Campus, who is a comprehensive center. So anything we can't do here, we send very, very quickly there. So does this mean that uh, our listeners who are out here, uh, say, full-time or even during the summer, if something, God forbid, does happen, they don't have to necessarily rush into the city to have treatment. They can do it here in Southampton or at Stony Brook. Absolutely, yes. Between the two centers, we can fully take care of any stroke needs. Wow. So what is a stroke? So a stroke, sometimes it's called a brain attack. But basically, it's an event in the brain where blood vessels that are bringing blood to the brain, they either get blocked or they burst. And what that means is the area of the brain that's blocked 
where that birth can't get the oxygen and the nutrients that it needs. So it can't function at its full capacity. You know, I was looking up the derivation, the etymology of the word, the actual word stroke. Mm -hmm. And um, in this case, I I guess it comes from uh, the old English uh, for, you know, having a a, a being struck by a weapon or, you know, uh, having that uh, event happen to you, uh, uh, you know, a violent blow. And I guess that's how it came about to be called for this kind of event in your brain. Wow, that's awesome. I, to be honest, have never looked that up. So that's very cool. Well, I just, I like the derivation of words and where they come from. And I was thinking, well, where would, why? Why is it called that? You know, so, but that's what happens. And so it's, can they be, what are, what are the various types of strokes? Can they be mild versus severe kind of thing? Yes. So they can be all over the map. Um, strokes can be anything from a transient ischemic attack, which is called a TIA, which is basically a very short-term issue that's going on with your brain where you'll have some symptoms from anywhere from a few seconds to a few hours or a few days, but then they completely resolve. Um, You can have an ischemic stroke, which means that a blockage led to too much of a lack of nutrients in one part of the brain, so part of that area is no longer functioning. Um, and that can range from anywhere from very, very mild symptoms to very, very severe symptoms. And then you also have what's referred to as a hemorrhagic stroke, which is where you have bleeding in the brain. And then again, that can range from mild to severe symptoms, depending on how much of the brain is affected and how quickly you are able to get treatment. What, what do you see mo- most often? So we see, unfortunately, we see a lot of TIAs, which is a transient, so the short term, um, and we do see a fair amount of the actual ischemic. We luckily do not see that many hemorrhagic, um, and if that is one of the criteria. If you do have a hemorrhagic stroke and you come to Southampton Hospital, we will stabilize you, we will get you ready, and we get you to Stony Brook as fast as possible. So if you needed any surgical intervention, they can do that there. When did they first discover this, that, that strokes happen, you know, and, and, and how they happen? So strokes have been around for, gosh, for a really, really long time. Um, I believe this dates back to, I want to say the 1800s is when they first called it a stroke. But before that, they referred to it as an apoplexy, which is basically a label they gave for stroke-like conditions before the 1800s. So they knew that something was going on, um, but they just didn't have a name for it really until about the 1800s. And is there like a dominant uh, doctor or you know role model you look back on as as a stroke uh, RN and coordinator that that sort of really uh, you know uh, established uh, you know the the criteria for this or whatever? Was there one person who uh, you know you you look to who discovered the stroke? So um, it's funny because the stroke was actually discovered, or the credit goes to um, Hippocrates. So wow. he was one of the first ones that noted, and again, he used the term apoplexy, but which actually means, I believe in Greek, it means like struck down and struck down by violence. So he was one of the first people to put kind of a name to it. So I've always kind of 
thought go that back was there. So, wow. Yeah, I just always thought that was so interesting that we knew so much even back then. You know, in the fifth century BC. Well, I mean, the Hippocratic Oath is still something mm-hmm. that is so relevant to doctors and nurses today, right? Oh, of course, absolutely. It is, you know, the underlying principles that we follow. Wow. So way back then and now, fast forward, <laughs> mm-hmm. centuries later, um, what what kinds of uh, treatments do you provide? Anything in particular, especially for Stony Brook, Southampton or, or Stony Brook itself? Absolutely. So stroke can be treated in uh, a variety of ways. And the reason that it's so important to come to a hospital as soon as possible is because time is brain. That's kind of our slogan. The amount of time we have to treat you is very limited, right? Because if the brain is not getting the nutrients it needs, it's, it's not going to be able to recover to its best of its ability. So some of the things that we offer here at Southampton as a primary center is we have the ability to perform CAT scans, which is imaging of the brain. We can do MRIs of the brain, which show us a more in-depth picture. Um, We can start thrombolytic medication, which is basically like clot-busting medication. So if you come in and you're having an ischemic stroke, which means you have a blockage, we can give you the medication to get rid of that blockage and those medications are TPA and TNK. Um, However, we only have a three and a half to four and a half hour window of the start of your symptoms to give you those medications. Mm. So that's why it's very, very important to get to a hospital as soon as possible. Wow, but how do you even know that you're having a stroke? So that that's the thing. There's a great campaign that's going out right now by the American Heart Association and it's called Be Fast. And it's a quick little acronym that kind of describes the signs and symptoms to look for, for yourself and for those around you. So B fast, B stands for balance loss. Uh, E is for eyesight changes. S is for facial drooping. A is for arm weakness. S is for speech difficulty. And T stands for time to call 911. So any balance, vision change, asymmetry of your arms, legs, face, um, and difficulty speaking are all signs and symptoms to look for. I thought it was just because I was a, a klutz. I mean, I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, so again, time is brain. The faster you call 911, the faster you get yourself to a hospital, the faster that we can diagnose and treat you. Wow. It's, so um, give, give us some, again, uh, kind of more in detail what those signs of a stroke might be. So if you notice that you're having a conversation or you're having a conversation with someone and all of a sudden the words are not making any sense or they're having difficulty getting the words out or they might sound like they're a little drunk, a little slower, their speech is slurred, sometimes um, what's called word salad happens and you'll be talking to someone and all of a sudden they start saying words that make no sense at all. They don't go together. They had nothing to do with the conversation that you were having. Um, or you could have numbness, tingling, weakness in one side of your body, like your arm or your leg. Um, if you notice when somebody goes to smile, maybe one side of their mouth is drooping, maybe one side of their whole face is drooping, uh, difficulty staying balanced, almost again mimics like somebody's walking like they're drunk, um, doesn't have that equilibrium. Mm. Those are all signs. 
that something is going on and you need medical assistance. When you talk about the speech impediments, um, I think about, uh, I think we heard certainly uh, recently, maybe over the last year or so, about someone like Bruce Willis, who has the problem speaking, and I think yeah. it, that was called aphasia, is that right? Am I right about that? Yeah, so aphasia is one of the signs and symptoms of stroke. It is also, so your voice center is, is part of your brain, right? So the ability to speak has to do with how your brain is functioning. So it is a sign and symptom of stroke, but it is also a sign of other illnesses and diseases. Um, but if this is something that is coming out of nowhere, you know this person, it's not part of their normal, you do want to make sure that you get an image of your of their brain, of your head, so you can see if anything acute is happening that we can try to fix right away. Um, and does the person who experiences the stroke know what's happening most of the time? Unfortunately, yes. Stroke can be extremely frustrating because you think you're saying one thing and you hear something else coming out of your mouth or someone will ask you, well, what is this a picture of? And it's a picture of a baseball and you really want to say baseball, but you can't get the word to come out. Mm. You can you try your hardest and it just isn't coming out. So having a stroke is extremely, extremely frustrating for patients. Um, even with mobility, you ask, can you move your right arm? And you try to move and it's just not, it's not working, but it's worked every other day of your life. So you, you said that while you're having a stroke, you mentioned you've got a few hours, a window to have it taken care of. So can yes. a stroke go on for hours? So a stroke, the symptoms can go on, right? So, and the symptoms, unfortunately, can end up being permanent. If you don't get treatment fast enough, they can end up being permanent, um, which is why it's very, very important to get somewhere very quickly when you first notice that this is going on so that we can try to do as many things as possible to make sure that those what's called residual effects right so those signs and symptoms that you're noticing we try to make sure that those don't stay with you long term and who what's the sort of target audience uh, audience but you know the patient for this i think a lot of folks assume uh and i talked to you off the air saying you know that we have a family member who has had a stroke uh but is 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 uh, a senior citizen is elderly is it generally the elderly population that have this or can it happen to just about anyone so unfortunately anyone is susceptible to stroke However, our risks do increase as we age. Overall, it depends a lot on behavioral habits and, you know, just genetics, right? So some things that can be controlled with preventing stroke would be smoking, diet, um, physical inactivity, um, obesity, high cholesterol. And, you know, some things that we can't control would be, you know, family history, prior stroke history, that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, we do see it in a younger population, although it is rare. Um, it, it can happen to anyone. What's the youngest patient you, you all have seen at Stony Brook, Southampton? Um, we've had a few, probably 20s. Wow. 20s. Wow. Yeah. And why do you think, well, probably, that would, I, I would assume, be genetics, uh, but maybe, yeah. maybe behavior? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it could be behavioral. I know the cases that we've seen have been more genetic related. That's got to be strange to see someone that young experience this. Or any, anyone, obviously. But 
Wow. So are men or women more prone to having a stroke? So women tend to live longer than men. So women actually have more strokes over their lifetime just because we're around a lot more. Um, but we also have some unique risk factors. So high blood pressure during pregnancy can put us at risk. History of birth control uh, medications can put us at risk. Um, smoking, it actually turns out more women smoke than men. About one in nine women smoke Ooh. in the United States. Wow. So the likelihood of stroke ranges from about 20 to 21% in women, and men is about 14 to 17%. So not too big of a difference, but uh, women do tend to have strokes. More often than men. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and we say, oh, man. So, I know, oh, right? Oh, woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, okay, rate these as, uh, you know, from worst to, to uh, not so worst of the three factors that could be behavioral and, and the worst things that could prompt a stroke. Smoking, uh, diet, or uh, how about alcohol? Oh, goodness. Um, honestly, they're all, they're all kind of all up there. But my honestly would be uh, diet because it increases your likelihood of having other predispositions, right? So it could increase your likelihood of high cholesterol, which is also a risk factor of stroke. It could increase your likelihood of high blood pressure, which is increased risk factor of stroke. Same with coronary artery disease, obesity, um, then smoking. I mean, that's just so bad for you in general. So if you're smoking, please, 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 please stop. There's so many resources out there now to assist people in stopping smoking and so many other things um, that you can be doing with your time and money. And um, alcohol, I guess, would be the last if I had to pick. Yeah. And wait, like if you're just a social drinker or just, you know, have an occasional... Um, it's probably hard to say. It's probably really yeah. hard to pinpoint, right? It is, yeah. No, there's not enough research out there that indicates how many drinks is going to lead to just so-and-so. But as long as you're, you know, everything in moderation, right? I know everyone's been saying that till the cows come home. But everything in, in moderation, as long as you're, you have a life of balance, you know, you're going to decrease those risk factors. So you play hard, but, you know, you work hard at your health because you only get one chance. And so if you take care of your body, you should, you should be good. Yeah, uh, my husband and I have the mantra, diet and exercise, diet and exercise, that's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And but again, it, I'm a firm be believer in balance, right? So if you want to go out and have, have that drink with your friends, you know, go for it. We're, this is our one time around the sun, and so you want to make sure you have a good time. But then maybe wake up the next morning and take that Pilates class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find it interesting here. So um, this is a, these are statistics released. And by the way, we're speaking with Samantha Pulliam. She's a nurse and she is the stroke coordinator uh, at Stony Brook Southampton Hospital. Um, but in 2020 in the U.S., coronary heart disease was the leading cause of deaths attributable to cardiovascular disease in the U.S., and that was followed by stroke. Yeah. So not I, cancer, yeah. stroke. I know. So the thing with stroke is that it hits hard and it hits fast. So that's why it's very, very, very important that 
you pay attention to these signs and symptoms and that you seek medical assistance as soon as you can. Um, unfortunately, we do see a lot of people who have delayed coming to the hospital because they just don't feel like it or they think it'll go away or they just don't want to be a bother. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, when it comes to stroke, it's time. Again, time is brain. So the faster you, faster you get to us, the more likely we are to be able to help you. Mm. Well, this is this is so great, and and as you mentioned, Stony Brook Southampton Hospital, uh, the Heart and Stroke Center there is des- a designated primary stroke center. Talk yeah, a little bit about yeah. that. So, a primary stroke center uh, basically it means that we've been given this designation by the Joint Commission. So, it means that the hospital has the ability to provide stroke specific care. Um, We have dedicated a stroke program. We have dedicated professionals who are trained in individualized stroke care that is specific to our patients' needs. We have the capability of performing 24-7 diagnostic imaging, so that's our CTs. Um, We also have the medications that can be used to alleviate stroke symptoms. Those are the clot-busting medicines, the TPA and PNK I spoke about before. And being part of the Stony Brook team, we work hand-in-hand with Stony Brook Main Campus, who's a certified comprehensive stroke center. So if our patients require additional monitoring or procedures, we can quickly transfer them to Stony Brook. And what about therapy afterward? So therapy afterwards is extremely, extremely important. So if you were to be diagnosed and admitted to the hospital for a stroke, listening to your case management, your social worker, your physical therapist is very vital. You want to make sure that you follow the advice that they give you and whether it's three days a week or twice a month, you want to make sure that you follow up with these rehab services because you can get that mobility back. You can get part of your life back that you might not have currently because of the symptoms. So, you know, rehab, it can build your strength, your capability, your confidence. It can help you with your daily activities. Um, And Stony Brook Southampton offers, you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. um, And we do have a stroke survivors support group as well, which Mm. more information can be found at Southampton stonybrookmedicine.edu not all facilities do that I've had experience with that in, in a family member uh, not all facilities provide that kind of an intensive uh, rehab and therapy yeah so that is one of the things that does set us apart as a stroke center so we are focused on not just your initial treatment but your follow up treatment we look at patients as a whole person we want to know that when you leave us that we're going to put you in good hands to go back to the life that you were living before you got sick. Mm. So is there life after a stroke? Oh my gosh, of course. Yes, absolutely. There's complete life after a stroke. You know, it's just with time, new routines will eventually become second nature. And unfortunately, it may take a lot of effort and a lot of hard work and a lot of frustration but if you keep at it and you follow what your medical provider is telling you by taking the proper medications and following up with all the specialists that you need to see and doing your PT or OT exercises you can definitely live a very happy and functional life. Have You've seen that happen often? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, the mind is a very powerful thing. And so if you put your mind to it and you work as hard as you can, 
you know, you can get back a, a lot. You might not be able to get back every function that you had, depending on how severe your stroke was, but you, you'll be able to get, get back a lot, absolutely. Yeah. How important in that recovery phase, whatever that recovery might be, how important are uh, loved ones in that, family members? Extremely important. You know, community and family and loved ones are vital for just overall health, not even just recovery, right? There's all of this literature out there that shows that people live longer, happier, healthier lives when they have the support of community and loved ones. So it's really important that you reach out for help. Don't feel like you have to do this alone. If you have family, I'm sure they would love to support you. So let them do that. I know a lot of people don't like to reach out because they don't want to be a burden, but I guarantee your family's not going to think you're a burden. They're going to want to help you get back to being as functional and as having a closer to a life as you had before. Um, so never think that you're a bother. You know, love can get you really really great places well i i think we can all identify with that feeling though of, uh, i'll get over it you know i don't want to go i don't want to go to the hospital you know i don't i don't want to be a bother da, 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 da. but i guess this is something you really do have to take seriously absolutely if you yourself or if you see someone exhibiting again any of those symptoms of be fast um call 911 or get to a hospital as soon as possible. You know, worst case scenario, you wasted a few hours finding out that you didn't have a stroke, right? So that would be, you know, the worst thing that could have happened if you thought you overreacted. But the best thing is that you got there, you got there quickly, and we were able to manage your stroke and make sure that you had as little side effects and residual as possible. Uh, Samantha, I'm just curious. Um, we're going to wrap up soon with Samantha Pulliam, a nurse and stroke coordinator at Stony Brook Southampton Hospital. But I'm just curious, I mean, have you had personal experience? What, what has made you decide to sort of focus on this uh, area of, of medicine? I have not, thankfully, I have not had uh, personal experience, but I got into medicine from the beginning because I just always loved helping others and I'm the kind of person that always loves to learn more so if there is an opportunity for me to advance my knowledge base and advance my skill set I'm going to take it and so when the opportunity of stroke coordinator presented itself I was like this looks like a great new challenge and I would love to be able to provide the facility and the community with the best program possible and I'm an extremely determined person. So it um, sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> anything um, I I hope to achieve, you know, great things for the facility. But you know, any new challenge that I can come up against, I, I kind of just step right into it. So I assume that also with the therapies you have dietitians. What what kinds of diets are recommended to prevent stroke? So you know, so this all goes back to like high cholesterol and blood pressure. So you know, watching that salt intake, watching those high saturated fats, trans fats. So um, focusing more on those healthy fats, like those avocados and those olive oils. Um, staying away from you know the things that taste the best, like butter. <laughs> oh um, no! <laughs> I know. And again, everything in moderation. Right? right. Like I'm not saying throw out all the butter and never eat it again. It's just everything in moderation. Staying 
away from those fried foods, not eating fast food every day, fried food every day, making it more of a treat every once in a while, making sure that you have a balanced plate. You want to eat the rainbow, right? The more colors you have on the plate, the better. So you have multiple colored vegetables and whether you're plant-based or you eat meat, um, just making sure that you have a well, a well balanced diet, getting those proteins, those vegetables, you know, those carbs in. It's all very, very important. It's, it's what is so important. It given any kind of medical, uh, right. Uh, event where you've got to do all of that to prevent everything. I was just thinking, you mentioned you have to eat the rainbow. Why? <laughs> well, you got to have, uh, maybe, a Kermit the Frog as your spokesperson uh, for stroke. <laughs> I could eat a rainbow. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. It's sing, a bad idea. Sing the rainbow, you eat the rainbow. <laughs> it's, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. And again, uh, please let, let listeners know how they can uh, you know, reach out and find out more about Stony Brook Southampton Hospital's Heart and Stroke Center. So if you're curious and want to know more about the services we offer here at Southampton, all you have to do is either Google Stony Brook Southampton Hospital or you can go to southampton.stonybrookmedicine.edu and that will bring you to our website that has all the information on the services we provide, stroke, trauma, uh, cardiac, all of the above. So you can learn a little bit about, more about the history of Southampton and the services we offer here. Awesome. And again, our goal at the end of the day is to provide the best possible care we can for for our community, you know, my community. You do, you do such great work. And thank you, thank you, Samantha Pulliam, for taking so much time today out of your very busy schedule. Uh, bless you, and thanks again for you and your staff and everyone there at Stony Brook Southampton Hospital for the work you do for this community. We, we love you. We just love you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. You too, Samantha. Okay, and I've got some go-go's. Because this good news makes me head over heels. I do too, one.